welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I am the senior media editor at Digiday, and it's just me this week. But don't worry, my co-host and our media editor, Kaylee Barber, will be back soon. For this week's episode, I spoke with Corey Hike, who is the chief digital officer at Vice Media Group. Vice Media Group, like a lot of media companies, is on a big revenue diversification kick. Right now, for the digital division, a majority of revenue comes from advertising, but Corey has a goal that by 2024, she wants to get to a third of revenue coming from advertising, a third of revenue coming from commerce, and a third of revenue coming from consumer. And so we spend a lot of this conversation talking about those last two pieces, commerce and consumer revenue. On the commerce front, Vice is, for example, having conversations with retailers about content syndication opportunities. And then on the consumer revenue front, after adding a subscription product for Motherboard last year, this year Vice is looking into adding a tip jar for Vice News, as well as uh, subscription opportunities for Refinery29. So we get into all of that in this conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Corey Hike, welcome to the DJ Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Good to good to be connected, and really glad to be here. Absolutely. So um, I kind of want to start by you are the Chief Digital Officer at Vice Media Group, and so I kind of want to get a baseline for your purview. And I know after Nancy Dubuque took over as CEO, she kind of organized the business into five divisions, five global P&Ls. There was studios, the TV network, virtue, news, and then digital. Is that still the way that the company is organized? That is still the way the company is organized. That's exactly right. Yes. And I, I, okay. I took over the d- digital pieces. I'm excited to talk to you about it. Yeah. And so with digital, like what's the scope of that? Because I know then in 2020, Motherboard, for example, the uh, Vice Media Group's tech news outlet moved over to the news division. So on the digital side, what is that full scope? Great. Okay, I can I can explain this to you. Um, so digital, which I mean, you know, is uh, I mean, it's a, a a line of business in Vice Media Group, a one one of the the in the sort of portfolio of Vice Media Group's businesses, but it doesn't just sort of cut vertically; it cuts horizontally, if you will, which will sort of explain the, the motherboard piece. So within digital, um, sort of think about it as our house of brands, Vice, and all the sub brands within Vice, R two nine, Refinery twenty nine, which you know we did that acquisition end of 2019 and did an integration in 2020. And then ID, uh, which you may know, ID Magazine out of the UK, it's digital presence is global, obviously. Um, so it, the, the the digital line of business consists of all of those house of brands and all of their, call it digital manifestations and expressions. So anyway, the, the user, the customer um, accesses that, that, that brand is really sort of the purview of, of digital, if that makes sense. From a from a motherboard perspective, we did a we did technically did a split between Vice Digital and Vice News uh, right before the pandemic. Really, in terms of just how we organize it, in terms of reporting lines for editorial, but as far as its sort of technical digital manifestations and how it shows up, it's all part of the the digital ecosystem and all of the infrastructures that sit within digital. So. From an audience distribution perspective, from a in development perspective, from a call it product and engineering support to how the brands show up to how audiences find us, it's all connected to digital. So it 
sort of formally sits within the news side of the house in terms of its kind of editorial leadership. But in terms of how we we run it, produce it, it's all connected to the kind of central infrastructure of Vice Digital, which if you sort of get back to what's the role of, you know, Vice Digital within the kind of ecosystem of Vice Media Group is to support and produce um, all the manifestations of the brands and how they show up for audiences. So I don't know, is that clear as mud or something? <laughs> I think so. It, it, it sounds like if... Um... Checking out something from Vice on a, well, no, because now we'll get into like a gray area with studios. What I was going to say, if it's non-news content that I'm seeing on the web from Vice, then it's within digital. But then there's so many, I mean, it's, at this point. It's, I mean, here's what I would say. It's I, I from a consumer perspective, it's all Vice, right? And, yeah. and Vice and Vice News are all Vice. It's all they're all connected together. The user doesn't see a difference. And motherboard, I mean, you would certainly say as a you know as a person who works with the news and content, but as a civilian outside of the media ecosystem, you know sometimes it can feel a bit like news. That's the sort of amazing thing about motherboard is it breaks a ton of news and does some of. I, I mean, I think the most amazing reporting on, you know, labor and privacy, um, it, it go up against any, any major news competitor, but it, it's a, it's a, it, it's an entertainment brand. It's a news brand. It kind of, it kind of crosses that line. Um, and, but we take it very, very seriously in terms of the scoops it produces. So, um, we consider it on the news side of the house in terms of its editorial, um, reporting. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And probably easier for me to understand the business side because digitally we love the business of media. So for the digital division, what are the different revenue streams? Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about that, um, actually. So, you know, Vice Media Group, <clears throat> historically, we're, you know, ad supported, um, built our bones on, I would call it branded content. Um, very good at it. Love it. Love to do it for brands. Um, and it's still the bread and butter of our business. But in the last couple of years, very much have widen that aperture um, and, and been focused on revenue diversification. It is our goal. It is my goal to get into 2024 to have a third, a third, a third of revenue coming from ad supported third commerce and then a third consumer, uh, which, which is ambitious for us in a lot of ways, but we're certainly starting to see really big inroads. And I'm excited to talk to you in particular about the commerce and the direct-to-consumer piece, um, you know, in particular, uh, Waypoint Plus, which is a, a gaming vertical that sits underneath Motherboard, we launched a direct-to-consumer um, experience, effectively a paywall for Waypoint um, users uh, midway through last year, and it is sort of going gangbusters and we're doubling down. So there's some very early signs about revenue diversification that are very meaningful and real in general. So we're still primarily an ad-supported business. Um, and, you know, that business has come back in full force for us post-pandemic. And we're feeling very bullish overall, but also very much bullish on some of these new um, revenue streams, which very much rely on the, you know, the, historically the, our ad business has relied on the scale of our audience. We still have that scale. We're reaching close to 400 million people a month unduplicated across all of our brands as best as we can tell. But what we're seeing and what we've really been focused on is taking that scale and really sort of, again, widening that aperture to engagement. The audiences that are coming back to us and what are they coming back for and coming back early and often trying to build community out of this sort of big addressable audience and then ultimately have that community convert with us in some way through their time spent with us, which they're already doing. That's the ad supported piece or through their contributions in terms of you know paying paying for you know some kind of a subscription <clears throat> or some kind of membership service with us or commerce ultimately converting to click to buy something um, which you know refinery 29 is has done fantastically 
doubled revenue again last year on commerce, and we'll do it again this year. So I can I can get into the weeds of some of that. But our revenue is primarily um, you know ad ad supported, but we're we're opening that up, and we're very very bullish on diversification and um, kind of running running hard at that in general. Got it. And and that's primarily ad supported specifically for the digital division, not Vice Media Group as a whole. Ad supported for the digital division. That's right. This, our our business. That's right. Got it. What's the percent? Is it like 75% in 2021 was ad revenue of the total revenue for the division? I didn't give you a percentage, um, but I definitely said it was a high percentage. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're not far off the zone, generally speaking. It's it, that lion share is still, is still ad supported. So I'll, I'll take your 75 and, and without confirming or denying saying that it's a lion share. Absolutely. Um, but it's moving. Okay. The, ne- the needle is starting to move in particular with commerce. And did that figure grow in 2021 compared to 2020? That figure definitely did grow. <laughs> We're talking numbers. What's the digital like share of revenue for Vice Media Group of, overall? The share of of the digital line of business to to Vice Media Group. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm I think if I started to to get into those it's a very meaningful contributor, I would say. But our studio business is is you know is doing quite well. Our you know our our, our virtue, our advertising agency, doing quite well. our news business is doing very well. So they're, they're, we're all sort of contributing elements. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to say that the contribution on the digital side has been quite meaningful. We, we're running a profitable business. You know, it we we are profitable. We continue to be profitable, um, and that is a that's a really big deal. It's a really big turning point for us. And so we're in we're in the zone. We're in the zone in yeah. a big way as a portfolio company, um, just because of the the sort of work the hard work we've done to get here. Got it. When did the digital division first turn profitable? Um, very early last year, and um, we've 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 been pushing. We have been pushing. That's right. God, I mean, that's that's a nice place to be at, a uh, challenging place to be at based on like every so many other media companies. But you mentioned lion's share of revenue is coming from advertising, but the goal is to get to a point where a third's advertising, a third is commerce, and a third is consumer. And I imagine, you know, that's you don't want to be growing commerce and consumer at the expense of advertising. You don't want to have to shrink advertising revenue in order to reach that third, third, third breakdown. So what, well, how close are you on the commerce side? Because commerce, it seems like you all are farther ahead, especially Refinery29, when you acquired that refinery had a commerce business and you've been adding to that with Rec Room, um, which launched last year. And so how close it, what's the percentage for commerce at this point? The percentage for commerce. Well, I I mean, I, without, without getting into the percentages and sort of just getting back, I mean, this, we did, we did the R29 acquisition and a big strategic reason for that acquisition was their capability in commerce. I mean, it, and it, it makes sense for refineries content in a lot of ways. Um, it's just a very, it's a very natural fit. In fact, consumers sort of expect it at this point. If you're producing beauty content and you're talking about that, you know, matte red lipstick, as a consumer, you, you want to click and you want to buy it. And so it, the, the sort of service element goes hand in hand with refineries content and we worked really hard to think about how we port that capability over to Vice. Um, you, you know Vice's brand. I, you know it's been around now 27 years, um, and I have to say, sort of leaning. 
back into what have been our heritage core authority areas on the vice side has been very meaningful in terms of what people come to us for, what they know us for. And so we thought a lot about that ahead of launching Rec Room. You know, what what would a consumer expect or what does a user sort of expect? What would they expect from Vice if we're selling things? Um, and how do we how, how do we get there in a way that could be meaningful to us? And so spend a lot of time in the data and thinking about, I would say, editorial approach and voice, where do we have permission? In fact, did a lot of that work across the brands, generally speaking, just from our own editorial content. Um, you know, where where do we have the right to win? Where do we have permission to continue to produce the way we're producing? And, you know, Rec Room, which was such a fun launch for us, it consistently sort of um, dominates in terms of some of our, our, our best content. In fact, um, I'm going to, let me just jump down here. I want to, I want to pull up some of my notes to talk specifically um, <clears throat> about Rec Room. Um, and while you do that for anyone in the audience who isn't familiar with Rec Room, so this is a vertical that Vice launched, I believe it was April of last year. And it's, it's pretty much a, a shopping vertical. There are product recommendations. Those product recommendations are written by a team of former journalists, but not part of the editorial team, um, kind of officially, if I remember correctly. Um, and then people, you know, like any other shopping vid- vertical on a media company's site, you can click on a you know product there, go to the merchant's website, and then Vice, you all... So do you get a percentage of the sale or is it a flat fee? We do both. We work in both ways. Um, and, you know, depending on the, 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 the retailer, depending on their affinity with our audience, and, uh, you know, we, we, we can do some really interesting things. Um, I, so I, 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 you know, just pulling some of these stats up. So Refineries, but refinery shopping verticals calls most wanted <clears throat> four years of maturity that continues to double its revenue year on year and primarily by affiliate shopping content. To your point, you're reading an article, you know, you, you click a link uh, and you and you buy. Right. So, you know, Rec Room was very much built off of that. That same framework, very audience forward. I, I love that you said by a team of journalists, a lot of the, the Rec Room writers are former. I mean, they're former vice writers and editors uh, and have been, you know, former editorial journalists at other institutions. And so they very much, they, they get the voice, which I think has just been very key for us. Um, if I think about some of the, the successes that we've seen, um, did you know, Tim, that we have the number one position on Google for, um, you know, sex furniture, where, where, where to buy, where to buy the best, se- you know, se- sex furniture? I, I, I it, it, off of an article, best sex furniture for turning your living room into a horny playground. This is, you know, I consider this a safe for work headline. This is what people are searching for. We're producing it. They want to. We also um, have the number one position uh, on Google for the um, the best NFT art to purchase. So we're. I mean, and, and you sort of think about those two things, and they both feel very vice prescient. You know what's happening now, seeing around those corners, and helping people make those decisions. Um, that's what we're. That's what we're working on. Um, but so we established, you know, authority in places you would expect us to. But we've also just found some really inter- other really interesting opportunities. Um, November was our highest revenue generating month ever across Rec Room and and Most Wanted. In fact, a forty percent increase year over year in in affiliate revenue in in that month, which is very telling. What was the raw revenue figure? Oh, the raw. I, 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 I will not go on the raw revenue number, um, but it was, it was a, it was a meaningful. I mean, forty percent increase for year over year in terms of that raw revenue number for November. Of course, November is one of the biggest, you know, months of the year, obviously. Right, and in the previous November, you didn't have rec room, so it feels like that would 
naturally lead to a growth, I would think. Well, I, and but I should say on most wanted and so on most wanted, you know, the highest revenue month ever year, year on year. And then rec room, obviously. Got it. OK. So very meaningful in general, which just tells me as a publisher, we have some permission and we have permission to grow. And the, the thing I'm really excited about, like we're going to continue doubling down on writing articles, doing affiliate content where we have authority adjacent to our, our vertical sub verticals. We're going to be expanding. We're going to launch affiliate on ID. Um, we're very, very excited about that. I can talk to you about some just ID in general. Um, I mean, we very much see that as a sort of immersive luxury shopping universe. We're going to be doing some site redesigns across all of our brands to enable that. But the, the piece I'm really excited about is a lot of this innovation happening within shopping. If you think about, you know, live shopping opportunities, um, we're doing a lot of live streaming on TikTok with, with ID in particular, um, you know, platform, off-platform opportunities. We've really, really um, sort of gone hard at building our off-platform audiences and in formats that are very native to those environments. You, you know, may have You've heard me talk about stories before and thinking about vertical is one of the most important things we're doing. It really has been a major growth driver for us. And, and I do want to talk about that. But I think that one of the most exciting things is the combination between content and commerce on these sort of vertical platform experiences where that's where people you're spending money with Apple Pay. You're spending your money with your thumbs. And we want to be in position from a product perspective to, to be able to offer that. And that's, I mean, that really is about innovation, focusing on how you build for your audiences. Um, and we're, we're, we're in that zone. So that's what this next year looks like for us in terms of expansion, you know, expanding out to ID, expanding out to further, um, you know, sort of brands and, and sub brands within the VMG house and brands, but also enabling new functionality that allow consumers to, to make that purchase when they're ready to make that purchase. And with off-platform, you know, with respect to commerce, I feel like a lot of times, you know, publishers talk about commerce off-platform and it's, you know, like you said, live shopping videos on TikTok, shoppable video or, you know, just shoppable on Instagram. But it seems like there's also something of an opportunity when it comes to off-platform on retailer sites, especially as more retailers roll up these ad sales arms and are like kind of doing their own version. Well, it's not affiliate because they're the retailers. Um, but like for you to be then syndicating content to a Best Buy. Best Buy, I think, was the most recent example of this. Is this? Are you having conversations with retailers about this? We're having some interesting conversations about exactly that. And in particular, you know, what we're seeing is luxury you know, retailers also sort of raising their hand and getting into that game and trying to understand what that means. It's good for us. And they're coming to ID to talk about it. They're coming to Refinery to talk about it. Um, so we're we're bullish overall that, that that connection point, our relationship with these retailers, our audience's affinity for these retailers, I think, you know, allowing us to be that curation home, that kind of taste making for what we know our audiences want um, is sort of a, that will be a meaningful part of our revenue, particularly for our, you know, lifestyle and entertainment brands. Those conversations with the retailers, what are you hearing back from them in terms of what they're interested in? Because I imagine it's, it also becomes something of, you know, who are the right retailers, who are the right publishers for those retailers. And then also I would think there's questions from your side of, well, how is our content going to appear? How do we make sure that this is, you know, a beneficial relationship for Vice Media Group? I think it's, you know, it comes back to that, um, that time old conversation. Is this the right brand fit for us? Is this the right alignment in terms of our voice and their voice? 
making sure it's not, we, we don't want to beat our audience over the head or sort of overly commercialify or um, sort of Shopify, if you will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> content, not to, not to, not to, not, not the Shopify we know and love, but. You know. No, it's the best nerdy pun that we've had on the podcast, at least I think in an interview that I've hosted, Kaylee may have had some. I'm glad to take that place. Uh, best nerdy, you know, weird pun. Um, but I think we, you just, you have to be careful about that. Um, but I, there's, Retailers are coming to us because they, they're trying to figure out how to do content. They're also trying to figure out how to do talent the right way. And those are the things that we do. And because that, that, when you think about shopping and why people are converting and how they're converting, people follow people, not brands. We know that. We have talent gracing our covers of ID, our digital covers of, of R29 and, and, and Vice and the, and the, and the, the subject and the characters we, you know, we, we, we put on camera. Um, and that's, that's who our audiences are looking to, to make their decisions about what they're going to, how they're going to spend their time, how, how they're going to spend their money. And brands are trying to figure out how to get into that game, which if you kind of think about the original, I would say, you sort of, you know, value proposition for brands coming to us to begin with, we're sort of back in that same conversation where how do you reach audience? How do you get audience to convert with you? We just have, you know, more, I, I would say just more, um, more ways to do that. Got it. And how are you thinking about how you'd like that to be arranged financially? Like, would that be rev share? Would it be fee for content? Would there, I like, imagine you could do some kind of, um, joint ad sales arrangement too, or a rev share on that? Like, it feels like it could get pretty complicated pretty quickly. It could get pretty complicated pretty quickly. I mean, for the, for the luxury brands, it's, you know, the, 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 the ticket price, the skew is a much bigger, right. It's a much bigger number, uh, which you, you have to sell, you sell fewer to, to make that, to make that fee. I mean, that's certainly a very interesting thing when we think about, you know, what it takes if you're just if you're buying lipstick, even expensive lipstick, and you think about the fee that you get, that, that sort of rev share or that flat fee that you get, it, you're going to sell a lot of lipstick to get to that number. It's different if you're just you know buying two luxury for selling two luxury handbags. And so I think the sort of the dance we're in is what what does the what does the audience size look like? How much merchandise are you trying to move? You know what's the appetite from our our editorial side? What's the t- appetite for our audience? Again, to not sort of overly Shopify everything, but to make it accessible and available in the cadence that we normally talk about these things. It needs to feel. Right. It needs to feel. It needs to feel authentic. We cannot. We can't disavow our audience in that way. They will. They. They will walk away. Particularly Gen Z, um, right. which, which you know I'm. I've, I'm really excited to sort of talk about Gen Z as well because we are definitely winning on that front uh, on the on the Gen Z front. Um, and so it's that's that's one thing we're you know sort of constantly keeping in mind. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. And, and with this idea of like syndicating content to the retailers, having something from Rec Room or from Most Wanted pop up on a retailer's site, I imagine is it deal breaker? It has to carry your branding, or would you white label that? You know, I mean, we're not fully there on the what does the execution of that look like. I would say it. You know, context is everything. It depends on how it will show up. Um, how it will, how that will be sort of um, merchandised around that the, the brand's property. Um, but I, you know, we would like to. I, I would like to think that 
audiences, customers anywhere. Um, I mean, we know from our own headlines, when you put, if you do an R29 headline that has fashion editor chooses X over, um, you know, this, this lipstick is trending, we're going to get the click on fashion editor chooses X because refinery fashion editor chooses X because our, our audiences trust our authority. That is actually why this is working. We, because we actually do have the, you know, the expertise and the authority versus a retailer who is, you, you know, their sole purpose is to, you know, to, 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 to sell goods, right? So we're doing the reviewing. Um, we, we've got this great series out of the UK on R29 called Beauty in a Tick, where we have a, uh, one of our reporters, you know, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like, basically testing makeup um, on TikTok and doing, you know, product reviews on TikTok. It's not commercialized yet. It's not, we're not, we're not selling product off of it yet. We're, we're, we're really doing this authentic, does this work? Does this not work? And this kind of live experimentation, that's the difference. And that's why our audiences trust us. And so I think if, if, if that retailer, I, I think there's value actually in, you know, Refinery29's fashion editor says X. And so I think that would be the natural place where we would go. And that would be our value um, to that, to that retailer. Got it. And there does seem to be some precedent where like Amazon, you can be searching for products on Amazon and they'll have some sort of like rating section in the search results, but it'll credit whoever the publisher is. And there's a sponsored arrangement. So more savvy people may be like, well, there's money changing hands. I don't necessarily trust that, but that's the whole other bag. With um, one thing, you know, that publishers on the commerce side really had to deal with in the second half of last year, especially the last few months of last year, was the supply chain issues and just like, okay, how can we figure out like whether we're going to be promoting products that are actually available for people to purchase? What um, kind of adjustments did you all have to make in light of the supply chain issues? Because it's not like those went away, you know, with the shopping season going away. They've continued into this year. There's still plenty of boats off the port of Los Angeles. There, there are. You are indeed right about that. It hasn't it hasn't impacted us in the way that, the, in the sort of macro sense, we're certainly writing about it and talking about it as, as as a publisher would for our audiences. But in terms of the spin that we had from retailers, uh, in terms of our you know branded content or just media buys, as well as our affiliate relationships, we didn't see any impact there, and we're not really seeing any impact in Q1. Um, so I fingers crossed but it definitely is a conversation on our minds as we're as we're talking to brands we're hearing is that anything that you would attribute to just like how you evaluate the merchants that you work with or the types of merchants that you're working with where that would kind of get sorted out before the product recommendations got published you know i i i would hate to just operate or just make that assumption and say uh, yes but i do there there is something to the fact that we we're doing a we're doing a curation. We're doing a, um, I mean, these are bespoke, these are bespoke affiliate packages. Our, our gift guides, I would send to anybody anywhere. They're, they're very much, you're not, it's not just a long list of like Amazon links. These are, these are retailers that you may have never heard of that are, you know, small owned businesses, you know, BIPOC owned businesses, sustainable products, all sort of in the wheelhouse of what our audiences love, like sex toys and, you know, wellness and all, all, all the things you would expect. Um, but it's, I think there is something to our curation that is a bit different. I, I, I need to run that down fully to say 100% yes, but I, I, I can definitely say um, that that has something to do with the mix. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Cause I could see, especially like given, you know, the smaller merchants, the more independent merchants that you all are working with, 
that these may be merchants that are used to selling a certain number of product in a month or in a week. A you know something goes up on rec rooms or on must have and that really shoots up and do they actually have enough in stock or are they actually going to be able to produce enough? Because then I would think there could be something of a concern. You show a product to your audience and they're like, yeah, I want to buy it. And then it's, oh, eight months until it's going to be available to me. Hey, refinery, what gives? Like Totally, totally. Well, I can tell you we have, I mean, it's a constant dialogue with these retailers. I don't know if you've ever checked out Dadgrass. Also, mm, their um, no. <clears throat> mom grass, uh, one another one of their products, but it, it, it's a small and business dad grass, which you know really for us has been one of our most clicked, most purchased. Uh, I'll let you, I'll let Delta Eight, I'll let you, I'll let you check it out. It's legal for us to actually sell and ship anywhere, but that's been one of our most clicked, most purchased. Uh, goods. And, uh, you know, we did a, a Mother's Day, a Father's Day, uh, you know, big <clears throat> sort of package as a recommendation for who are you going to get dad grass for? Dads, who are you going to get mom grass for? Moms, which is, a, which is a hit, an instant hit on Rec Room. But we communicated with that vendor, you know, well in advance. They were sort of prepared for any onslaught. And so, we're you know, we're trying to do that good communication about this is going to be front and center and we're going to send some traffic your way. Um, so, yeah. There was a publisher I was talking to recently this year um, about commerce, and they have you know a good sized commerce business, um, and it's it's growing. I think for the most part, publishers' commerce businesses are growing. But they were saying that we are reaching something of a growing pains phase to this, where growth is continuing, but now publishers are starting to bump up to what are the areas that are like need development and. Kaylee Barber, our media editor, had a story recently where she wrote about how with live shopping um, and like TikTok, for example, just the tools aren't quite there to facilitate the sales that there still is some um, kind of gluing things together in order to get the sale. And that introduces some friction. What are the areas of development that you're most focused on for this year and, and whether there are any that are more urgent in your eyes? I, I appreciate that. I mean, yes, there's there will always be friction because there we are just sort of in constant development land. That's just you know when whenever I talk about growth, I talk about you know audience growth uh, or revenue growth, any kind of growth. If you want to grow, you need to hire product and product and engineering people. That is that is that is my biggest plug. Of course, hire journalists. Of course, talent. We want it. We need it. We love it. That will that will get that will also get you growth, but you have to have the support systems, and really that's about you know developers and product folks building these experiences. And when you're talking about particularly off-platform live shopping, it's all about integration with these pieces. And so you know I'm I'm proud to say we've got a, a big roadmap that sort of spells out some of these. You know maybe they're not the most exciting things to talk about internally all the time, but that is what that's what's going to get us to that next place. These sort of growing pains, friction points, call it sort of user journey that needs to just be seamless in order to work. And in fact, like, I mean, I would just say like Vice Media Group's House of Brands, Vice, Refinery29, ID, we're putting audience innovation at the center of everything we do and it's working. And that's because we're focused on building through, you know, our user experiences, product and engineering, which I, and, and I want to sort of talk about some of that you know, we're winning across audience. I have a million stats I can cite to you on like how we're beating our competitive sets consistently month over month, month over month. It's just, it's amazing. Winning on Gen Z against competitive set, 
winning on commerce and winning on innovation. And it's because of innovation. It's because we're really trying to focus on how we build these consumer experiences. So I'm convinced that from a commerce perspective, if you want to get to that next place, you have to invest in the sort of infrastructure and the tooling to do it, or you're just not going to get there. You're, you, you will reach a ceiling. That is absolutely right. Got it. And I imagine that would also translate to the consumer revenue side. <laughs> I'm trying not to torture the segue that I'm trying to make here, but you mentioned how you all moved into consumer revenue last year where you started a subscription business. And I imagine like we can't really say that Vice, this is Vice's first subscription business because Vice originated as a print magazine. And so I imagine there's subscription there. But how how are you thinking about subscription? Like, is that something you're already looking to extend across all of Vice Media's properties? Well, we're and we're looking at it in terms of audience segments, right? It's not a <clears throat> our audience isn't a monolith. It's not a monolith from a platform perspective. It's not a monolith from a brand perspective. In fact, when I talk about the digital business, I often want to just correct myself live and say digital businesses because they're all sort of at varying stages of, you know, acceleration or some you know, might be declining and you've got another one coming up and they're all, they all sort of work in different ways. The direct to consumer craze, or I like to direct to community. Sometimes I like to say that it's that, that is real. I mean, we, the, as a, as a publisher, Vice is a 27 year old magazine brand. We did start out in a lot of ways as a direct to consumer, you know, a product. And we have, we have grown as a, um, you know, an ad supported digital media and, and in a lot of ways sort of returning to our roots and connecting directly with our audience, directly with our consumers. But you can't do that across just 400 million people. You have to think about where are the places we have a stronghold in terms of authority from a content perspective? You know, where are people coming to us, you know, self-selecting, raising their hand, which is really opening their browser and typing it, typing us in directly or, you know, opening, you know, one of our apps or, 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 or if they're following us on YouTube, et cetera. We now have 15 million, by the way, 15 million subscribers on YouTube, which is huge. In 2019, we had 10 million. So we've... we've is that deduplicated? That's deep. That's, that's all of that's, that's our vice main account. Um, okay. yeah, yeah. So, it, I mean, it's, it as our, as our watch time ticks up, as our, as our, you know, videos continue to go big, we keep adding subs, which is really that, that tells me there's an engagement piece and then the watch time ticks up because we've got subs. So these are people that are saying, Hey, we want to be here. And for us, we're saying like, Hey, we want you to be here too. So how do we create experiences that make that easier for you and make it better for you? Waypoint, which I sort of talked about a bit ago at the top, Waypoint was is our gaming vertical, um, sits underneath, you know, motherboard, very, uh, you know, sort of um, classic, you know, gamer, uh, you know, what kind of what you would expect in a very motherboard vice way. And this was one of our, is still one of our most engaged audiences. I mean, they, 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 they come back every day that, you know, they listen to the, you know, Waypoint radio, the forums, YouTube, Twitch. And, you know, many had said many times over, even in the comments, if, if we could pay for this, we would. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they love the content. And so we thought, you know what, this is actually the best way. This is the easiest way to just get into this. We actually know that we have one of the most loyal and engaged audiences across all of our properties here. Let's do it. Let's, let's figure out what goes in front of the paywall, what goes behind the paywall. And did it in very short order. It pretty much, you know, within like just a couple of months, all of those folks that had raised their hand to say, like, I would pay for this right away really did. I mean, we had it, it, it's 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 very impressive. The sub number we have. I know you're going to ask me. I'm not. Yeah, what is it? I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's meaningful. It's meaningful. Is it single digit thousands? 
single digit thousands. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's actually a bit, it's, it's a bit beyond that. I will just say good reporter question for me. Triple digit thousands. We're, we're, it's, it's getting there. It's get it's getting there. I'm very bullish this year. We haven't put any marketing behind it from a, a paid perspective. It's all been organic, um, which is great. So it's, again, it's a very sort of low, you know, sort of entry point for us to say, how will this work? And so on top of that, now we're thinking about, um, you know, the other communities that we have that are very engaged. I mean, we have our hor- a horoscopes community that is, they, they come back early and often, news, of course, travel diaries on, on, on Refinery29. There are just a lot of places, our, all of our, you know, drugs coverage, you know, in, in particular, you know, weed, cannabis authority for many, 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 many years. Uh, and now, you know, sort of beyond that, uh, the, the sort of, you know, psilocybin and getting into sort of new spaces, which we have authority on and people are searching for, we're finding that traffic really coming back. And so we're thinking about, are there ways to build communities, direct to consumer communities there? And maybe that's not asking them to pay right away, but it's talking about, you know, do you want the tote bag, <laughs> the proverbial tote bag from us in some way? How do we create these environments um, that feel like you are, you, you are a part of that with us? And we've been doing that sort of across the board from a, you know, a content perspective as well and creating these two-way conversations and it's working. And so with Waypoint, was it a, is it a donation program or is it, hey, pay this much money per month and you'll get access, you know, ad-free access or will, you know, you get access to some articles that otherwise that are only going to be available to subscribers? It, it, right, exactly. You you pay a monthly fee and, you know, a, a monthly subscription fee and you're getting... What's the price? $5. Uh, you're okay. getting, you know, you're getting uh, extra episodes every week for the Waypoint, you know, podcast. You're getting entry into the Waypoint forum, which is really where the action is. That's where our editors are sitting and having conversations um, with, you know, upwards of hundreds of daily posts in there. So you're getting, that's a lot more than your, your average, you know, Waypoint user would get um, a Twitch channel, so extra Twitch content. So it really is additive, extra extra content, engagement with the actual editors of Waypoint themselves kind of vibe, which is what which is what this community wants and how we built it. Yeah. Got it. And are you thinking of like as you look to extend that elsewhere within Vice Media Group, are you basically looking to extend it in that way or is there other approach to subscription that you could take with a refinery property? There, there are other approaches. Certainly, um, we're on, on, you know, on the news side. Um, we will be launching a, you know, a tip jar functionality, uh, do- donation functionality. We'll see where that goes. Um, we have a lot of people that tell us if if this were a paid product, we'd we'd pay for it. So we thought we'd start <clears throat> with a tip jar that'll be coming um, in the next couple of months. Um, you know, we're, we're thinking about, um, you know, for for things like. Uh, Money Diaries, which is a huge fr- franchise on Refinery29. It's probably our most trafficked and our most retentive franchise and format. People just want it and they can't get enough of it. Uh, you know, how do we build something out around that that feels, I mean, the Money Diaries community is in a lot of ways kind of a voyeuristic uh, it's, it's, you want to know, it's like somebody makes $135,000 and lives in New York city and gets a Starbucks coffee every day. Like, how do they do that? What do they, <laughs> what's that like? What is it like? I want to know, tell it, you want to know. Um, but then how do you sort of take 
from that, this highly engaged community and build something out. Uh, we've got a, a big conference planned, you know, COVID notwithstanding toward end of end of the year, uh, big money diaries on, on conference. In person. In person. And it, hybrid, of course, you know, we, and of course, if we needed to be all digital, we could. Um, but that that's something where we're talking about. That is a community experience, um, you know, bringing in some of the diarists themselves, uh, bringing in, you know, sort of financial you know, basic, basic financial uh, sort of support and help, um, you know, sort of mentoring, uh, the whole kind of work and money combination is something that's very strong for us on Refinery. So that, when you start to think about that, that feels like a little bit of a different direct to consumer, um, you know, more, perhaps more master classy uh, than, than what a, a Waypoint, um, you know, direct to consumer product looks like. So very individualized based on what the content is, based on what our audiences are asking for kind of a thing. Got it. Are you all looking second half of the year for that event? Exactly. That's right. Give yourself some some time to see how things sort out. See how it's going. That's right. That's right. Got it. Okay. And I know we're running long, but um, one thing I did want to you know hit on before we go is Story Studio and, and specifically just your plans for Story Studio on the revenue side of things. I've heard you talk about rolling out a creator network for Story Studio. And anyone in the audience who doesn't know, Story Studio is a vertical video tool that Vice rolled out believe June 2020 um, for your own like in-house you know writers editors um, content creators to be creating vertical videos um, for Instagram stories TikTok on down the line but you've talked about expanding this and opening it up to creators outside of vice when's that going to happen and how are you going to be making money from that yes I'm so glad you brought it up I mean this 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 is what gets me out of bed in the morning this is so exciting you know, I, I I don't think I'm overstating when I say, um, you know, Story Studio for us and, you know, launching, we launched last year. I, I call it this a CMS of the future. It's on your phone. It produ- You produce on your phone. You file on your phone. Um, brings across all of the, you know, the good templates, the styling, uh, the, the way we actually produce for our platforms. We're, we're producing upwards of 4,000 pieces of content a month off of Story Studio. So that, that's 4,000 you know, original assets that we're creating per month because of this app build that we did that we did not have before. So when I, I talk about we're going to double our app off-platform growth next year, it's this year, it's, it really is because of this. Um, we're using it across uh, all of our brands, uh, 12, producing in 12 languages. Um, and we're also using it uh, for for commercial purposes as well. We've been using it for clients, uh, which they're you know they're they're starting to really uh, see the benefit as well. Um, anything that we've produced off of Story Studio app for any of our brands uh, has a you know more than fifty percent a, a performance upwards of fifty percent from benchmark. Um, what does that mean? Well, it means in terms of engagement with the actual content itself. Uh, so it's because we're producing this content in a native way through Story Studio, it's just the 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 the, the end result just becomes more engaging for the audience. Um, okay. Yeah. So compa- is there an average view count for like those four thousand posts? I can get I can I can get you that um, if, if okay. that's if that's interesting. Um, the con the content is performing. Um, and our and overall, just on the commercial note that I would say about stories and vertical video, um, our revenue has grown has grown. Um, 50% year over year from, from, from that as a, as a product we offer and as something that we do. So we've created an entirely new revenue stream out of this as well. Uh, but the, but the next, the next iteration of story studio is a creator's app. So 
We're going to take this thing that's working for us internally that we've given to all of our journalists around the globe to produce content, these 4,000 original 4,000 pieces of content, and we're going to give it to creators in these communities that we're building. So think about talent. I mean, I said people follow people. They don't follow brands. So these people that are in these communities, think about the unbothered community within R29. Think about the Vice News community. You know, think about uh, in particular for ID and, you know, the, the sort of the fashion community, the, the, the um, the creators that don't exist in our network, that, but that are part of our family, that we're talking to, you know, new talent, we're, we, we are going to offer this to them. I mean, you, you think about the sort of permissioning and all that good stuff, we'll get that right. But we're going to we're going to give this tool to them and let them produce for us. So, I mean, yes, it's very UGC in a way, but also curated, you know, sort of polished and produced for the brands. And, um, you know, we we're bullish that this will become, you know, a, a tool in the creator economy that these creators that we know or that we don't know then can plug into our network um, and we can sort of help offer them the platforms that we that we that we currently have. So we're we're very bullish. And um, yeah, I am. I'm I'm thinking we're, we're we're close to a Q2 launch for this. OK. And how's the money going to work on that? Do the creators pay to use the tool? Do they get a, a cut of any revenue from ads that appear against their content? We, we're we working through that now. I mean, very, very top of mind is making sure the value exchange is um, just call it sort of fair and equitable across the board. Value exchange for our internal creators, our external creators, um, you know, our, our, for us as a publisher. Uh, and I know that the sort of the entire kind of creator economy conversation is existing. The subset conversation is existing. You know, the sort of relationship between journalists and their publishers. We're, we're kind of taking all of that in through this conversation and attempting to build something that very much sort of services our brands and our audiences, but also, you know, really gives creators a leg up, generally speaking. You know, we, you know, we, we have things like, you know, I don't know, health insurance and, uh, you know, uh, all the, the, sort of, the sort of value that you get from working at a company. Is there a way, is there a way for a creator to plug into some of that with us um, and have some kind of stability? Um, so we're, we're kind of thinking about it and, and very, very open-minded um, and, uh, want to, and, and, and want to get this right uh, for, sure. for creators and, and for our audiences. So there will be some way for the creators to be compensated from the content that they're producing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's like a whole huge conversation that's going on in the creator community. Actually right now in this past week, as we're talking where Hank Green, who is a um, big YouTuber, he and his brother, John Green started VidCon, which is the big creator event. Um, he did a video last week talking about TikTok and these creator funds and just how, disadvantageous it is for creators because it's basically capping the amount of money that creators can be making whereas the platforms get all of the upside from that and that's um it seems to be really kickstarting that conversation back again about like creators just not being properly compensated for the content that they're creating for these other companies yeah i not and not to overly simplify but you know freelance networks have existed for a long time and this is a sort of multi-dimensional you know, freelancer kind of a network for us and absolutely creators have to be compensated. Um, I mean, you've, you, you know, you sort of live it, but you read all of the kind of horrible, um, you know, sort of readouts on what it's like for creators to, to exist in, in this environment. We would like to make this a place uh, that they would want to come. <laughs> Perfect. I think that's a great note to end on. Creators have to be compensated. Corey, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Really great talking with you. Absolutely. My pleasure. 
And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And we'll be back next week with another episode. 